Welcome to Much More Than the Law, a production of the law firm Much Shellis. I'm your host, Ed Shapiro. And on Much More Than the Law, we're going to introduce you to really the heartbeat of our firm, which is our people. We'll discuss developments in the law. We'll get to know some of our clients and some of our community partners. And, and at the end of the day, our goal is to inform, educate, inspire, maybe share a few laughs along the way. And uh, we really look forward to sharing this uh, journey with you. Our guest today is Kayleen Coronaga. Kayleen is a member of our litigation group and, quite frankly, the envy of all of us because <laughs> Kayleen works in Hawaii. Kayleen, welcome to the show. Hi, Ed. Thanks for having me. Great to have you. So you have a, a fascinating uh, story in that you actually grew up in Hawaii. Yeah, yeah, I did. So I grew up on Oahu, right above Pearl Harbor. Um, I, you know, went to Punahou School, which is a Chicago connection, as that's where President Obama went as well. But when I graduated high school, I went to college in Los Angeles. Um, from there, I went to law school in Orange County. I stuck around there for a little while, started working. I, you know, met Isaac Zafadi and his firm Zafadi Burns. So I started working there in 2011. Um, I got engaged. My husband is also from here in Hawaii. And we met through mutual friends on a trip to Las Vegas. And so we connected that way. So when I got engaged, I knew I wanted to start a family here in Hawaii as my family's here. And so I let Isaac know that I was thinking of moving back home. And he told me, you know, you can't escape that easily. <laughs> he wasn't going to let me go. And so he's been really great. And we were able to kind of create a job where I could keep working with him remotely. And so since 2015, I've been working from Hawaii, but still out of Newport Beach. And it's really been a great job. It's ideal. It's a dream job for me to be able to keep doing what I was doing in Orange County, but be here in Hawaii with my family. So That's it's great. really worked out to be great. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's so great to hear, and, and we're grateful to have you and, and everyone else who joined us from uh, Zafadi Burns uh, a little while ago. But let's go back to what it was like growing up in Hawaii. I think sure. those of us who have uh, either spent time in Hawaii or not spent time in Hawaii have always imagined what it might be like to <laughs> So give us the inside scoop. What was it like growing up uh, in Hawaii? I mean, it's awesome. I mean, having to talk to you guys during the winter months, I mean, we have none of that snow. So I'm, I don't know what any of that is like, but it, it's just gorgeous here. I mean, everything is outdoors. I think it's pretty typical. We don't wear shoes. When you're growing up, you run around barefoot. Your weekends are, you know, going to the beach. I was never much of a surfer. My brothers and my dad are surfers. So, you know, that that was a big part of what they did and you know hanging out just at the beach and barbecues things like that I don't know if there's anything really unique I mean pretty typical <laughs> yeah uh, other than doing what what uh, other kids do growing up but just in in a beautiful place uh, yeah. on, on this on this earth I guess right right um, yeah. yeah so what kind of activities did you do as a kid uh, did you play sports or arts or yeah so growing up I played soccer I 
did dance, I did ballet, tap, jazz, hula. But really growing up, my main hobby was film production. So I was the kid in elementary school that, you know, was trying to do the editing and writing the scripts about social skills or where recess was and doing some of the reporting. So that was really my interest as a kid was you know, doing the film editing and film production. And I always thought that's where I was going to end up as an adult, but things changed. Yeah. So <laughs> so what changed? What moved you in the direction of, of becoming a lawyer? I stuck with the film thing throughout high school. I, you know, took every class there was in film and photo. And I think when I got to college and just really having to make a decision about what I wanted my life to look like, what lifestyle I wanted. I didn't see that career in film production or in the film industry would really fit what I wanted going forward as an adult. Um, And so I kind of just opened up to wherever life was about to take me. Um, And so in college, I majored in communication studies. I went to Loyola Marymount University and there they had an amazing program in rhetorical studies. Um, And so I just really love that about how you use your messaging. And I always liked writing and I was pretty good at it. And so I kind of felt if I could find a career where I could use those skills in writing, that that would be a good fit for me. And so as I was graduating college, I thought I would either go and get a master's and a doctorate in rhetorical studies or law school. So it was kind of a coin toss. And so I just kind of ended up going to law school and it's worked out pretty good. Yeah, it sounds like it worked out well for, for you and certainly worked mm-hmm. out well well for us uh, <laughs> as part of our firm. Just going back to your family in Hawaii, uh, do you have siblings? Yes, I have two older brothers. Um, their names are Kurt and Kevin. And so all of us have names that start with K's. and all of our children have names that start with K's. So my older brother has two boys. I have two boys and my middle brother has one boy and we're all K's. So it's really fun when we're all together for my mom to try to call everyone out. And everyone is, is in Hawaii. Mm-hmm. That's a, it's a wonderful thing. It's a really a blessing to, to be able to be near family. If it's, uh, if it's at all possible, it's hard these days with everyone so spread out, but what a blessing to have your siblings and their children and your children get together and kind of grow up together. Oh, it, it really is. You know, me and my brothers at different points in our lives live different places. My oldest brother was in Colorado for a while. My middle brother lived in Japan. I was in California and we all just kind of ended up back here. And we're all actually pretty much in the same city where we grew up. So we all just kind of came full circle. And my mom, she watched all of our children growing up. She was our babysitter. She's my babysitter right now. So, you know, it's just full circle and it's been like really nice. And we're very blessed that we were able to all kind of end up back where we are. For sure. Mm-hmm. So I want to go back to your decision to become a lawyer. Are there any other family members who, who are attorneys? So I do have an aunt here who is a partner at one of the larger law firms here in Honolulu. My brother-in-law is also an attorney in Los Angeles. My aunt was really the only attorney I knew growing up. So I wasn't around a whole lot of it. So you decided to take the plunge and without anybody sort of nudging you uh, to, to, to to that career path. 
It was a pretty blind leap of faith. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes those are the best decisions, right? You just sort of yeah. jump in and it and it works out. And even if it's not perfectly planned or perfectly designed, right? Exactly. So we're we're coming out of this pandemic, or at least we 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 appear to be coming out of this mm-hmm. pandemic. And I just want to uh, hear a little bit about how the pandemic you know impacted your family life, your career as an attorney, and how you sort of managed the last almost couple of years now. Oh my gosh, it's been that long. Yeah, so um, we were very lucky. Um, that our family wasn't as adversely affected as others. Since I've been working remotely since 2015, working from home was my normal. And so in terms of, you know, any changes, my work days look very similar to what they did before. Um, My husband works at the Pearl Harbor shipyard, so he's an essential worker. So he kept going to work on his regular schedule. My youngest son was born in September 2019. So his whole life has been kind of during the pandemic. So, you know, some of it, I was on maternity leave. So that kind of was a little bridge there. And my five-year-old was just starting preschool. He was just getting into the rhythm. And, you know, then they sent everyone home. So our life wasn't greatly affected. We were lucky in that sense. But it was nice, you know, having a newborn and my five-year-old to be able to be home and close and spend those times with them has been, you know, a silver lining in all of this. Yeah. As we've said on this podcast and and has been said by so many others, how many people really suffered, um, you know, the loss of family members and Mm -hmm. uh, uh, the loss of of jobs and, and just really the tragedy that befell our our country um, during during this time, you know, everyone uh, had to come up with their own way of of managing all of that. And um, we continue to say how grateful we are for having made it through and and sort of seen the other side. Hopefully, hopefully, seen the other side. Yes. So it's yeah. uh, it's interesting. How has um, the pandemic and Zoom court and hearings and so forth impacted you? I mean, you you are based in Hawaii. And uh, obviously connected with our firm, which has uh, our office here in Chicago, but also in Orange County, California. So how, what have you seen and, and how has it impacted uh, what you do? I think, you know, the shift to remote depositions, hearings and electronic filings and service, I think has actually been a good shift, um, especially for me being remote, making, you know, Zoom calls more normal and, you know, accepted it really I feel like it brought people to me. So when the pandemic started, we were having daily office meetings on Zoom. And I remember telling them, you know, this is the most I've seen you or talked to, you know, all of you in probably four or five years. So I think it was really, it's really brought people to me where I feel like, you know, I'm a little bit more into the fold. And when we joined Matt Shellis, I think that, you know, really highlighted there because you know, with the guys in Chicago and the people in Orange County, we were all just on the video calls. And that was a good opportunity for me where normally I might not have been able to, you know, join those types of meetings, their calls, because they have been brought to Zoom and to Teams. So, you know, as someone working remotely, this has been really good for me to be able to see people. And, you know, it's normal now to do video calls and you can be working from anywhere. Really, well, I can assure you that 
come winter time in 2022, <laughs> um, a, a lot of us are going to find a way to come out to Orange County, yeah. uh, if if not Hawaii, uh, to, yeah, uh, to have some face-to-face time. So we're really looking forward to that. So in terms of your development as a lawyer, we've heard on, the, on uh, much more than the law, sort of everyone's pathway in terms of other uh, legal positions they held before they joined our firm, uh, other experiences they had, uh, whether it was clerking or, or being a summer associate. Talk a little bit about what that was like for you before sure. you sort of settled into to law firm life. Yeah, so straight out of college, I went to law school. While I was in law school, I did a legal internship with the ACLU of Southern California. Then I did an externship with the city attorney's office in the city of Orange, where Chapman University is located. And so then I, then as a 3-0, I got a law clerk position at a small family law firm. But my focus was with the medical malpractice and doctor's defense side of the firm. That was a really fun experience. And my attorney there, he was a retired colonel in the Army, MD, and a JD. So he was a highly decorated, interesting guy. Um, So that was a fun experience. After law school, I took the bar in both California and Hawaii. I took a little bit of a break, a little breather, a few months of just trying to relax a little bit. And so after that, I got a contract attorney position at a law firm that focused on nursing home litigation, nursing home defense. And then I met Isaac Zafati and joined Zafati Burns in 2011. Um, and then we joined Much Jealous in 2020. So kind of how I ended up here. That's been quite a journey. I, you had mentioned when we were talking before the podcast uh, as a law clerk, um, you uh, had the opportunity to work with an experienced co-counsel, yeah. uh, a woman who provided some mentoring and training to you. It's such an important value um, that it's really important for certainly for our firm to um, mentor and train newer attorneys and just wanted to get a sense of what that was like for you and what she what advice she gave you and and how that has impacted the way in which you practice um so when I was working as a law clerk in that small law firm she was just a co-counsel that was helping us on one of our cases I don't even think she knows you know, how much what she said stuck with me. And it was even just the little things that she said, even to this day, you know, I'll be in situations and I can hear her voice or, you know, I remember what she said, but it's really stuck with me and really made an impact on me. I think, especially then I was only a 3L, you know, I was young and to see a female who had been in this profession for a long time, she's very experienced, very smart, top of her specialty to, you know, have someone take interest in me and to help me and just help me along the way. That meant so much to me. And even talking right now, I I know I need to email her and let her know, you know, how much of an impact she's made on me as, you know, a woman and as a female attorney. And it's been, I think, almost 15 years now, and it still has stuck with me. You know, I was thinking about this and thinking what of all the things she said and 
one situation I clearly remember was we had a client who wanted something done by Monday morning. And this must have been Friday night. I told him, you know, I understand what you want. Um, I don't know that I can give you all that, all that you want by Monday morning because I had, I can't remember what, but I had something that I needed to take care of over the weekend. Um, And I remember she pulled me aside after and she said, you know, I want to commend you that you do need to draw boundaries. You know, it's important that you carve out what you need to do to take care of, you know, yourself and to not be afraid to draw boundaries for yourself. From that point, I've always had that in my head that it is important to draw boundaries and to know, you know, you need to take care of yourself as well as, you know, professionally, it's personally you're important too. That is something that I always hear her saying in my head, you know, it's okay to draw boundaries and you need to be able to draw boundaries for yourself. What great advice, because that is one of the things, sort of drawing boundaries, setting expectations, that is very, very difficult. And for all of us, as, as when we were newer lawyers, right? Yeah. Because mm-hmm. we felt the expectation was that attending to, to client needs and client service meant being available 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And while, while that is part of our profession, just having her tell, uh, explain to you or commend you and acknowledge how important it was for you to set the boundary, to set the expectation, to let the client know how important that is. What great advice, because, you know, clients, they have lives, they have personal lives as well as business lives. And more often than not, understand if you explain what's going on. And obviously, if there's a true emergency and something must be prepared and filed uh, by, you know, nine o'clock Monday morning, it has to be done. But oftentimes, you know, as, as we find, uh, as uh, we move along in our careers, that the true emergencies are few and far between, right? right. There, there is space to carve out and say, you know, I, I, I can get some of that, but maybe not all of it, but I just want to let you know. And you have a discussion about it because mm-hmm. the best client service comes from having that relationship and communication with the client, right? And yeah. and just reassuring them that you are there for them, you are going to do everything in your power to help them and, and just setting those boundaries along the way. So what a great gift that she gave you as a young, absolutely. as a newer, newer attorney. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Attorney, right? You weren't even a full-fledged attorney yet. Right, I was in law school. So. Yeah, even better. So let's talk a little bit about some of the cases that you've worked on. I think we all, you know, have cases that are memorable to us for positive or negative reasons. Um, But I was wondering if maybe uh, any cases come to mind that just stick out as memorable moments in in dealing with a tough situation or, or any situation, quite frankly. Well, I think the most memorable case would have to be the first one that I started working on when I joined Zafari Burns. Um, So we had a client who was a real estate investor. So he would purchase properties, fix them up and resell them for a profit. And essentially he got defrauded by his employees. So his employees started making up fake you know, invoices saying a driveway needed to be redone when it was fine, or they created straw buyers that 
they pretended were buying up his properties and there really was no one. And so there was a whole bunch of mortgage fraud going on. And so once we settled the civil case with these defendants, our client was adamant that, you know, there's a criminal element here. There needs to be some kind of criminal punishment for these people. And so Isaac and I drafted up this beefy brief. I put together, I think it must have been 800 exhibits that took up probably four bankers boxes. And so we set out to try to get some authority that wanted to take up this case and, you know, take it criminally. Um, And so I I think we went to the LAPD, we went to the LA sheriffs, the US attorney's office. And I remember Isaac and I pushing, literally pushing these bankers boxes through downtown LA (laughs) trying to see if any of these offices would take our case. It just so happened one of our sets of exhibits landed with the LA Sheriff's Department and the officer there who opened up our very first binder and exhibit one was a copy of a driver's license of, you know, a woman. And we don't know how the defendants got it, but they had used it to pretend to be a straw buyer. Um, And it just so happens that this officer that opened exhibit one knew that woman. And apparently she was dating another sheriff. And so he picked up the phone, called her up and said, you know, I see your license here. Do you know anything about this? And of course she didn't. And, you know, that was enough for them to, you know, get interest in our case. And they investigated it and got a conviction. And so after all of that work and pushing these boxes around and to know that that's what did it was that this you know, sheriff in this huge metro of LA opened exhibit one and knew the woman on the ID. It was, it's just mind boggling that it worked out that way. And you now it was just an amazing outcome for our client who really wanted criminal justice. Yeah. So the, the power of, of perseverance, right. And, and yeah. putting all that information together and schlepping it around, uh, yeah. <laughs> all the boxes around. And then a little bit of luck, right? Yeah. A little bit mm-hmm. of luck that that particular sheriff took a look at that particular exhibit in exactly. that particular binder, and there was a connection. It's another lesson in terms of, of what we do. You know, it's it's all about preparation and persistence and perseverance, and and sometimes a little luck goes a long way uh, yeah. in, in, in our cases. That's a great story. Uh, any cases you're working on now that uh, come to mind that uh, have any sort of interesting issues uh, or topics? We have some high profile cases that are pretty interesting, but it seems to be the trend right now is we're getting very big partnership disputes. It seems to be what the bulk of my cases right now are. There's a lot of multi-million dollar investments where partners just go sideways or, you know, they're not delivering what they said they would. A lot of it is based on poor contracts or not having good promissory note up front. So, I mean, I think that's what we need to be stressing to a lot of these people is, you know, if you're going to be investing, especially these large sums of money, you need to make sure you have everything set up before you're writing that check or making that wire. You know, if that had been done, you might not need us. So, but that's really the bulk of what we're seeing right now. It's interesting. We're seeing that uh, as well. And a lot of us are talking about, again, coming out of the pandemic, how are people going to view disputes? How are they going to pursue those who they believe 
took some action that was uh, improper or illegal or breached some sort of uh, provision of a contract or some sort of fiduciary duty, and how they will pursue that, again, coming out of the pandemic. Are people uh, more inclined to go forward and litigate those disputes? Will they be more inclined to try to resolve those disputes coming out of the pandemic? I think it's going to be very interesting sort of what the legal trends are moving forward. I want to go back a little bit to your childhood. You mentioned playing an instrument as a little kid, <laughs> uh, which is always very interesting given who you are. So what did you play? Tell everybody. So I ended up playing the bass clarinet. So in seventh grade, I think, you know, I picked up the clarinet because that seemed like the most popular instrument that everyone did. Um, and at some point they said, you know, we have bass clarinet if anyone wants to try it. And I thought, sure, why not? I'll do it. And so it's pretty funny because I'm about five feet tall. A bass clarinet is about three and a half feet tall. So it's almost just as big as I am. So it's pretty funny to see me lugging around this huge instrument as big as I am. But I mean, it was fun, I guess. <laughs> so you chose but the biggest instrument, the biggest clarinet you possibly could. Yeah, well, yeah. That, maybe that says something, right? You're up for challenges, <laughs> right? I am. You know, You're something up. different. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. Well, it's really cool. I don't know when the last time you picked up a clarinet, but um, we have uh, quite a, a few uh, wonderful musicians in our firm. There's a lot of musical talent scattered throughout the firm. And, um, you know, there's always been talk about uh, getting those musicians uh, together to to play at, at, at some firm event. So we'll see. We'll, we'll see what happens. But, yeah, uh, yeah. Maybe, I know maybe sort of get the get the reeds ready again, <laughs> and, uh, and maybe you can you can join. Oh my god! And uh, you know, it, it's really interesting because um, th there is creativity in in what what we do, especially those of us who, who practice in the litigation world, and you know the the intersection between uh, the arts, music, playing an instrument, or some connection to the arts, and and how we practice is uh, has always been a, a fascinating uh, thing uh, to think about. Um, so I, I talk a lot about that with uh, with the other you know people in the firm who uh, who are musicians. So I, <laughs> Kayleen, I, I want to end with uh, just hearing from you about what inspires you on a day-to-day -day basis as a working parent, as a lawyer, as someone who um, made a wonderful intentional decision to move back home and to raise a family. What, what, what is your inspiration for all of that? It truly is my sons, you know, um, Keegan is five and Kobe is almost two. Um, and just being able to see, you know, the world through their eyes and wanting to give them a good life and wanting to let them grow up in a world that that's a world that I would want for them. You know, I think, you know, much Shellis has, really emphasize the diversity and inclusion and that you know really helped to open my eyes to what I can do to you know educate my sons or what I can do to help give them the world that I want them to grow up in um you know there's so many issues going on and you know as Asian Americans you know they're going to be faced with different things growing up and so I think you know I just really take my role seriously as you know their mother to try to give them a good life and prepare them for you know what this world will be for them or what they can do you know for this world for you know other Asian Americans um 
So I think really my whole inspiration is for them and to, you know, better their lives and better their future. Well, they're really lucky to to have you as, <laughs> as a mom. They're really lucky to have someone who understands the challenges ahead and and is prepared to to help them make their way uh, and make a positive impact in, in their community in the world. So it, it was really, really great speaking with you. Thank you so much for, for joining us on Much More Than the Law. And again, come come wintertime. Um, you, you may get a few knocks uh, on your on your door from uh, your Chicago friends. So, um, yeah, so everyone's yeah. welcome. <laughs> everyone's welcome. <laughs> All right, Kayleen, thank you again for joining us. And that'll do it for us on Much More Than the Law. Thanks for joining us. And uh, we look forward to you listening to our next podcast.